Book Five, Chapter Six of the Black Arrow. The Black Arrow by Robert Louis Stevenson. Book Five, Chapter Six. Night in the Woods. Concluded. Dick and Joan. The horses had by this time finished the small store of provender and fully breathed from their fatigues. At Dick's command, the fire was smothered in snow and while his men got more wearily to saddle, he himself, remembering, somewhat late, true woodland caution, chose a tall oak, and nimbly clambered to the topmost fork. Hence he could look far abroad on the moonlight and snow-paved forest. On the southwest, dark against the horizon, stood those upland, heathy quarters where he and Joanna had met with the terrifying misadventure of the leper. And there his eye was caught by a spot of ruddy brightness, no bigger than a needle's eye. He blamed himself sharply for his previous neglect. Were that, as it appeared to be, the shining of Sir Daniel's campfire, he should long ago have seen and marched for it. Above all, he should, for no consideration, have announced his neighborhood by lighting a fire of his own. But now he must no longer squander valuable hours. The direct way to the uplands was about two miles in length, but it crossed by a very deep, precipice dingle, impassable to mounted men, and for the sake of speed it seemed to Dick advisable to desert the horses and attempt the adventure on foot. Ten men were left to guard the horses. Signals were agreed upon by which they could communicate, in case of need, and Dick set forth at the head of the remainder, Alicia Risingham walking stoutly by his side. The men had freed themselves of heavy armour, and left behind their lances, and they now marched with a good spirit in the frozen snow, and under the exhilarating luster of the moon. The descent into the dingle, where a stream strained, sobbing through the snow and ice, was effected with silence and order, and on the further side, being then within a short half-mile of where Dick had seen the glimmer of the fire, the party halted to breathe before the attack." In the vast silence of the wood, the lightest sounds were audible from afar, and Alicia, who was keen of hearing, held up her finger warningly and stooped to listen. All followed her example, but besides the groans of the choked brook in the dingle close behind, and the barking of a fox at a distance of many miles among the forest, to Dick's acutest hearing, not a breath was audible. But for sure I heard the clash of harness whispered Alicia. "'Madam,' returned Dick, who was more afraid of that young lady than of ten stout warriors, "'I would not hint you were mistaken, but it might well have come from either of the camps.' "'It came not thence. It came westward,' she declared. "'It may be what it will,' returned Dick, "'and it must be as heaven please. Reck we not a jot, but push on the livelier, and put it to the touch. Up, friends, enough breathed.' As they advanced, the snow became more and more trampled with hoof-marks, and it was plain that they were drawing near to the encampment of a considerable force of mounted men. Presently they could see the smoke pouring from among the trees, ruddily coloured on its lower edge and scattering bright sparks. And here, pursuant to Dick's orders, his men began to open out, creeping stealthily in the covert to surround on every side the camp of their opponents. He himself, placing Alicia in the shelter of a bulky oak, stole straight forth in the direction of the fire. 
At last, through an opening of the wood, his eye embraced the scene of the encampment. The fire had been built upon a heathy hummock of the ground, surrounded on three sides by thicket, and it now burned very strong, roaring aloud and brandishing flames. Around it there sat not quite a dozen people, warmly cloaked, but though the neighboring snow was trampled down as by a regiment, Dick looked in vain for any horse. He began to have a terrible misgiving that he was outmaneuvered. At the same time, in a tall man with a steel sallet, who was spreading his hands before the blaze, he recognized his old friend and still kindly enemy, Bennett Hatch, and in two others, sitting a little back, he made out, even in their male disguise, Joanna Sedley and Sir Daniel's wife. Well, he thought to himself, even if I lose my horses, let me get my Joanna, and why should I complain? And then, from the further side of the encampment, there came a little whistle, announcing that his men had joined, and the investment was complete. Bennett, at the sound, started to his feet. But ere he had time to spring upon his arms, Dick hailed him. Bennett, he said, Bennett, old friend, yield ye. Ye will but spill men's lives in vain if ye resist. Tis Master Shelton, by St. Barbary, cried Hatch. Yield me, ye ask much. What force have ye? I tell you, Bennett, ye are both outnumbered and begirt, said Dick. Caesar and Charlemagne would cry for quarter. I have two score men at my whistle, and with one shoot of arrows I could answer for you all. Master Dick, said Bennett, it goes against my heart, but I must do my duty. The saints help you. And therewith he raised a little tucket to his mouth, and wound a rousing call. Then followed a moment of confusion, for while Dick, fearing for the ladies, still hesitated to give the word to shoot, Hatch's little band sprang to their weapons and formed back to back as for a fierce resistance. In the hurry of their change of place, Joanna sprang from her seat and ran like an arrow to her lover's side. Here, Dick, she cried as she clasped his hand in hers. But Dick still stood irresolute. He was yet young to the more deplorable necessities of war, and the thought of old Lady Brackley checked the command upon his tongue. His own men became restive. Some of them cried on him by name, others, of their own account, began to shoot, and at the first discharge poor Bennett bit the dust. Then Dick awoke. On, he cried, shoot boys and keep to cover, England and York. But just then the dull beat of many horses on the snow suddenly arose in the hollow ear of the night, and with incredible swiftness drew nearer and swelled louder. At the same time, answering Tuckett's repeated and repeated Hatch's call. "'Rally, rally!' cried Dick. "'Rally upon me! Rally for your lives!' But his men afoot, scattered, taken in the hour when they counted on an easy triumph, began instead to give ground severally, and either stood wavering or dispersed into the thickets. And when the first of the horsemen came charging through the open avenues, and fiercely riding their steeds into the underwood, a few stragglers were overthrown or speared among the brush, but the bulk of Dick's command had simply melted at the rumour of their coming. Dick stood for a moment, bitterly recognising the fruits of his precipitate and unwise valour, 
Sir Daniel had seen the fire. He had moved out with his main force, whether to attack his pursuers or to take them in the rear if they should venture the assault. His had been throughout the part of a sagacious captain. Dick's the conduct of an eager boy. And here was the young knight, his sweetheart, indeed holding him tightly by the hand, but otherwise alone, his whole command of men and horses dispersed in the night and the wide forest, like a paper of pins in a hay-barn. The saints enlighten me, he thought. It is well I was knighted for this morning's matter. This doth me little honour. And thereupon, still holding Joanna, he began to run. The silence of the night was now shattered by the shouts of the men of Tunstall, as they galloped hither and thither, hunting fugitives, and Dick broke boldly through the underwood, and ran straight before him like a deer. The silver clearness of the moon upon the open snow increased, by contrast, the obscurity of the thickets, and the extreme dispersion of the vanquished led the pursuers into wildly divergent paths. Hence, in but a little while, Dick and Joanna paused in a close covert, and heard the sounds of the pursuit, scattering abroad, indeed, in all directions, but yet fainting already in the distance. "'And I had but kept a reserve of them together,' Dick cried bitterly. "'I could have turned the tables yet. Well, we live and learn. Next time it shall go better by the rood.' "'Nay, Dick,' said Joanna, "'what matters it? Here we are, together once again.' He looked at her, and there she was, Joan Matcham, as of yore, in hose and doublet. But now he knew her. Now, even in that ungainly dress, she smiled upon him, bright with love, and his heart was transported with joy. Sweetheart, he said, if ye forgive this blunderer, what care I? May we direct for Hollywood. There lieth your good guardian, and my better friend, Lord Foxham. There shall we be wed and whether poor or wealthy, famous or unknown, what matters it? This day, dear love, I won my spurs. I was commended by great men for my valour. I thought myself the goodliest man of war in all broad England. Then first I fell out of favour with the great, and now I have been well thrashed, and clean lost my soldiers. There was a downfall for conceit. But, dear, I care not, dear, if ye still love me and will wed. I would have my knighthood done away, and mind it not a jot. My dick, she cried, and did they knight you? Aye, dear, ye are my lady now, he answered fondly, or ye shall, ere noon to-morrow, will ye not? That I will, Dick, with a glad heart, she answered. Aye, sir, methought ye were to be a monk, said a voice in their ears. Alicia, cried Joanna, even so replied the young lady coming forward alicia whom ye left for dead and whom your lion-driver found and brought to life again and by my sooth made love to if ye want to know i do not believe it cried joanna dick dick mimicked alicia dick indeed ay fair sir and ye desert poor damsels in distress she continued turning to the young knight ye leave them planted behind oaks but they say true the age of chivalry is dead. Madam, Dick cried in despair, upon my soul I had forgotten you outright. Madam, ye must try to pardon me. Ye see, I had new-found Joanna. I did not suppose that ye had done it on purpose, 
she retorted, but I will be cruelly avenged. I will tell a secret to my Lady Shelton, she that is to be. She added, curtsying. Joanna, she continued, I believe upon my soul your sweetheart is a bold fellow in a fight. But he is, let me tell you plainly, the softest-hearted simpleton in England. Go to, ye may do your pleasure with him. And now, fool children, first kiss me, either one of you, for luck and kindness, and then kiss each other just one minute by the glass, and not one second longer, and then let us all three set forth for Hollywood as fast as we can stir, for these woods, methinks, are full of peril and exceeding cold. But did my dick make love to you? asked Joanna, clinging to her sweetheart's side. Nay, fool girl, returned Alicia, it was I made love to him. I offered to marry him indeed, but he bade me go marry with my likes. These were his words. Nay, that I will say, he is more plain than pleasant. But now, children, for the sake of sense set forward, shall we go once more over the dingle or push straight for Hollywood? Why, said Dick, I would like dearly to get upon a horse, for I have been sore mauled and beaten, one way or another these last days, and my poor body is one bruise. But how think ye, if the men upon the alarm of the fighting had fled away, we should have gone about for nothing. Tis but some three short miles to Hollywood direct. The bell hath not beat nine. The snow is pretty firm to walk upon, the moon clear. How if we went even as we are? Agreed, cried Alicia, but Joanna only pressed upon Dick's arm. Forth then they went, through the open, leafless groves, and down snow-clad alleys under the white face of the winter moon. Dick and Joanna, walking hand in hand, and in a heaven of pleasure, and their light-minded companion, her own bereavements heartily forgotten, followed a pace or two behind, now rallying them upon their silence, and now drawing happy pictures of their future and united lives. Still, indeed, in the distance of the wood, the riders of Tunstall might be heard urging their pursuit, and from time to time cries or the clash of steel announced the shock of enemies. But in these young folk, bred among the alarms of war, and fresh from such a multiplicity of dangers, neither fear nor pity could be lightly wakened. Content to find the sounds still drawing further and further away, they gave up their hearts to the enjoyment of the hour, walking already, as Alicia put it, in a wedding procession, and neither the rude solitude of the forest nor the cold of the freezing night had any force to shadow or distract their happiness. At length, from a rising hill, they looked below them on the dell of Hollywood. The great windows of the forest abbey shone with torch and candle, its high pinnacles and spires arose very clear and silent, and the gold rood upon the topmost summit glittered brightly in the moon. All about it, in the open glade, campfires were burning, and the ground was thick with huts, and across the midst of the picture the frozen river curved. "'By the mass,' said Richard, "'there are Lord Foxham's fellows still encamped. "'The messenger hath certainly miscarried. "'Well, then, so better. "'We have power at hand to face Sir Daniel.' "'But if Lord Foxham's men still lay encamped "'in the long home at Hollywood, "'it was from a different reason "'from the one supposed by Dick.' They had marched, indeed, for Shoreby, but ere they were halfway thither, a second messenger met them, 
and bade them return to their morning's camp to bar the road against Lancasterian fugitives and to be so much nearer to the main army of York. For Richard of Gloucester, having finished the battle and stamped out his foes in that district, was already on the march to rejoin his brother, and not long after the return of my lord Foxen's retainers, Crookback himself drew rein before the abbey door. It was in honour of this august visitor that the window shone with lights, and at the hour of Dick's arrival with his sweetheart and her friend, the whole ducal party was being entertained in the refectory with the splendour of that powerful and luxurious monastery. Dick, not quite with his good will, was brought before them. Gloucester, sick with fatigue, sat leaning upon one hand, his white and terrifying countenance. Lord Foxham, half recovered from his wound, was in a place of honour on his left. "'How, sir?' asked Richard. "'Have ye brought me Sir Daniel's head?' "'My lord Duke,' replied Dick, stoutly enough, but with a qualm at heart, "'I have not even the good fortune to return with my command. "'I have been, so please your grace, well beaten.' "'I gave you fifty lances, sir,' he said. "'My lord Duke, I had but fifty men-at-arms,' replied the young knight. "'How is this?' asked Gloucester. "'He did ask me fifty lances.' "'May it please your grace,' replied Catsby smoothly. "'For a pursuit we gave him but the horseman.' "'It is well,' replied Richard, adding, "'Shelton, ye may go.' "'Stay,' said Lord Foxham. "'This young man, likewise, had a charge from me. "'It may be he hath better speed. "'Say, Master Shelton, have ye found the maid?' "'I praise the saints, my lord,' said Dick. "'She is in this house.' "'Is it even so? "'Well, then, my lord the duke,' resumed Lord Foxham, "'with your good will to-morrow,' Before the army march, I do propose a marriage. This young squire. Young knight, interrupted Catsby. Say ye so, Sir William, cried Lord Foxham. I did myself, and for good service, dub him knight, said Gloucester. He hath twice manfully served me. It is not valour of hands. It is a man's mind of iron that he lacks. He will not rise, Lord Foxham. Tis a fellow that will fight indeed bravely in a melee, but hath a capon's heart. How be it, if he is to marry, marry him in the name of Mary, and be done. Nay, he is a brave lad, I know it, said Lord Foxham. Content ye then, Sir Richard, I have compounded this affair with Master Hamley, and to-morrow ye shall wed. Whereupon Dick judged it prudent to withdraw, but he was not yet clear of the refectory, when a man, but newly alighted at the gate, came running four stairs at a bound, and brushing through the abbey servants, threw himself on one knee before the duke. "'Victory, my lord!' he cried, and before Dick had got to the chamber set apart for him as Lord Foxham's guests, the troops in the home were cheering round their fires, for upon that same day, not twenty miles away, a second crushing blow had been dealt to the power of Lancaster. End of Book 5, Chapter 6